Welcome, everyone, to It Simply Isn't Done, the Sermon Recap Podcast. I'm Reverend Jess Davenport. And I am Reverend Barry Petrucci. We are the pastors at Chapel Hill Church. And together we are the, the Irreverent Reverends. And uh, like the name would suggest, this podcast is the message from Sunday, where we share the scripture and then the sermon, and uh, we meet you back for some reflection on that message. There will be an opportunity to, if you look down in the notes, you will see a place where you can go directly to the reflection. If you already listened to the scripture uh, on the sermon, or if you just want to skip them all together and uh, just hear what we have to think about it, um, you can go there. We're happy you're here. We are indeed. So the series is Picture This for the six Sundays in Lent, and um, each week we'll have a picture. It might be an artistic representation, it might be a photograph, um, and it will be um, projected, but also in some way represented in the sanctuary with a porch. Uh, that porch is a space where we move from, uh, from the porch to the altar, and uh, the structure we have allows you to see through right to the altar. And this week, our sermon recap for March the 12th, is a sermon called Thirst as part of our Lenten series. What was that Lenten series called? Picture This. Picture This, and your scripture was? John 4. Um, kind of selections from it because we used a vignette. We did. It was because it's a, it's a lot of scripture. Yeah, in the lectionary, um, the scripture starts at 4 and goes through 42, but it probably should include 1 through 4. So it's a, it's a hunk in scripture. Yeah. It is, and uh, for most folks, pretty familiar. So uh, we're going to give you some time to listen to that scripture and listen to the sermon, and uh, then we'll loop back with you. See you then. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And jo Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw the water. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. 
but the water that I will give him will become, will become in him a well, a, a well springing up to, to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. Go, call your husband and come here. I have no husband. You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in, in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for our salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city. A word of God that is still speaking. When the scripture gets to be about 40 verses, we like to add a few more, <laughs> a few more folks in there to help us understand it. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Thirst. That's what we're talking about today. I saw some of you come in with some coffee. I have some spilled on my shirt. I think we're all ready. <laughs> I think we're ready to talk about thirst. In 2013, picture it, Tori and I stayed after our family vacation to Utah to do some more camping and some exploring in the national parks there. They're beautiful. We camped out in Canyonlands. And at this time, All Trails, the hiking website and app, was just a few years old. That's a pertinent detail. We found a trail. We prepared ourselves for what we thought would be, oh, an easy breezy three-mile hike, no big deal. That's how it was built, an easy three-mile hike. We got up early with the sun. We ate our breakfast. We set out on this casual hike, hopefully to finish easily before 8.30 a.m. Friends, it was not, in fact, an easy hike. It was neither a three-mile hike. We had one pack with two snacks and 64 ounces of water. So the first part down in the valley was incredible. Ooh, there I am in the valley. There's still life, there are trees. It was lovely. We did a bunch of hiking through brush and we saw these abandoned mining camps and there were these petroglyphs, yeah. 
And about an hour later, I was like, oh, it's been about an hour. It's three miles. Sure, we were dawdling and, you know, elevation changes. But I see a sign up ahead, and I bet we're going to be done. Whew, how great. We'll go back and rest. That is not what happened. I saw that sign and foolishly guzzled the last of our water. We got up to the sign, and the sign said, next four miles, rock face, scrambling. I did not know what scrambling meant at that point, as I had grown up in the Midwest. You don't do a lot of hiking that involves scrambling. In case you too don't know, it is where you have to get on your hands and all fours and climb elevation changes on a rock face. I drank the rest of our water. I did not sign up for that. It was getting warmer. And after this point, we took no pictures. We were lucky we stayed married. <laughs> it was hard enough to get through this task generally. So we got through it, right? We're not acclimated to the humidity difference. It's so dry there. And when I reflect on this experience, I remember being really, really scared, right? For any of you that do this, this is dangerous. This is a dangerous situation, legitimately. And I remember feeling scared. If I can get past the anxiety of feeling scared, what kind of um, came over me was thirst at the end, right? It was, it was July in Utah. It was going to be 105 that day. It was getting warmer and warmer. I drank the last of our water, and I just remember I was so parched. I was so thirsty. I had never been thirsty like that before. I want you to think about the last time you were thirsty. Really, really thirsty. There are only a few occasions in my life where I had that experience. You know, I live in a place where there is a lot of clean water. I'm a privileged person that has access to that clean water, so it doesn't happen that frequently and it sticks out. Right? The other time I remember was that I, I had a knee surgery um, and, and I had some issues and I had to stick some stuff in my throat and I remember waking up from that and I was really, really thirsty. And I think a lot of us have perhaps had an experience like that of just being so parched. It's an interesting problem being thirsty because a lot of us are conditioned uh, to be problem solvers and we try to think through our problems we can think through it. You can't think your way out of thirst. Right? There's no pro or con list you can get out of. There's no conversation you can have that will alleviate the thirst. The only thing that can alleviate it right, is water or something to drink. It is this physical need. And I started thinking then about needs. As humans, we are one of the neediest creatures on the planet. We were designed that way. We are born at a far less developed stage than any other animal. As babies, we require constant care and attention for a long time. Some of us longer than others. <laughs> right? Many animal species are born or they hatch. They're good to go. They just you know, crawl on off. They do their thing. They have to look out for predators, but they have everything they need. They don't need that parental figure. No care. Some animals stay, stay with their, you know, who raised them, whatever creature that is, or in a group for months, several years, but not like a human. We are born very needy. We are born very vulnerably. This is interesting, right? Because despite being born very, very vulnerable, despite being born with intense dependent needs, 
We hate being dependent on other people. We hate it. Ugh, who wants to have needs? No, I don't want to have need. I don't want to bother other people with my needs. Right? I don't want to be dependent on another. I might be a burden. I don't want to be a burden asserting needs. Ugh. I first started thinking about this when I would have leadership retreats um, over at the Wesley Foundation. I was the campus minister. Um, over at Western here in Kalamazoo. And we would get together and we would do some planning with our leadership. And I'd say, hey, what do you all need in your spiritual life? Blank stares. Blank stares. And I'd say, no one's ever asked me that before. Okay, all right, let's, let's draw back a little bit. What do you need generally? What do you need? Blank stares. No one's ever asked me that. No one's ever asked me that. Right? The time we're asked that is perhaps when we're in crisis and we can't think really clearly, but just generally. Right? We don't ask people what their needs are. We often don't contemplate what our needs are. Whew. And the thing is, most of us, not all, but most of us in our community have our material needs met most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. Um, we have a little over a, a quarter of residents in Kalamazoo County um, that live under the poverty line. So generally, a lot of us have access to our material needs. We also know that material needs are not the only needs we have. A lot of our needs involve one another. I want you to think about the last time, now I want you to think about the last time you needed something from someone. Think about it. The last time you needed something from someone, you had to ask someone for something. How did it feel to ask for that need to be met? Right, like if you had to ask for like silverware at a restaurant, probably pretty easy. We can generally do that. Some of us are still very uncomfortable doing that. Right? If it was for a friend, family, a partner to meet an emotional need, ugh, that's hard. It's hard to ask what you need in those situations. We have to practice asking what we need in those situations. I think in American culture, right, we're so focused on being independent, not only as a nation, but it sinks into us as individuals, right? We're individualistic and we like our independence. Conversely, that means uh, we don't want to be dependent on others even though we're kind of built that way. Additionally, this is a particularly Midwestern thing. We hate being a burden. We hate it. It is uncomfy. We don't like anything about it. We would much rather kind of suffer in silence than ask people for the things we might need because we don't want to be a burden. Right, what do we say when you bump into someone at the store? Oh, sorry about that. Right, like we're, oh. How, how horrible to have accidentally bumped shoulders with another human on accident. <laughs> we must apologize immediately, right? And we're polite, and I get that. But it just goes to show, like, our culture particularly, ugh, ugh, we don't like, we don't like having the need of having to get past, even get past someone in a grocery store. Ooh. Our story for today is the place where needs and thirst meet. We're in the book of John. John, John loves a little flair. John's a little artistic. 
So in this story, right, John 4, it comes right after the story of Nicodemus, or Nick at night, as Barry called him last week. And um, John is really setting us up to do some compare and contrast within these stories. So last week, if you weren't here, just a tiny recap. Nicodemus, one of the chief Pharisees, one of the religious leaders of the day, came to Jesus by night to ask his questions in order to not be seen. He didn't want anyone to know he was there. How embarrassing. A religious leader going to this, you know, rebel rouser asking questions. That's contrasted today with the Samaritan woman married five times, not a lot of friends in her community, coming to the well at noon, the brightest light of day. So Samaria, the land of the Samaritans, we learned that Jesus and others had to pass through it frequently. The Samaritans are also descendants of Israelites from the tribes of the northern kingdom, but they had religious disagreements. And they kind of branched off, and they left the Israelite faith. They did not become Jewish. They had their own faith, Samaritanism. And they were not deported when the Assyrian Empire took over that entire land. They were able to stay. They were not forced to move and become slaves in a new land. So there's this really interesting relationship, and we hear a little bit about it. You hear about the woman and Jesus referencing fathers worshiping on the mountain, right? And then others going to Jerusalem to the temple, that kind of talks about the religious differences. So there is a special and unique kind of tension Samaritans and Jews had with each other because they came from the same place and decided to go differently. So they had this especially contentious relationship. Right? They, were, they each viewed each other as the incorrect fallen cousin that left the way and the faith. So she is especially, particularly as a Samaritan, an outcast. So if Nicodemus was the upright Jew who comes at night, this woman is clearly the opposite. She was a fallen cousin, a woman down on her luck, right? We know she was at the well getting water. Um, what we might not know, some of you may know this, is that um, getting water in this time was woman's work. And here's what you would do. You would get up in the morning, you know, people would likely eat something, break their fast, and then all the women in the community Right, would gather, they'd go home to home, and they'd pick one another up. All of the grandmas, all the aunties, all the moms, all your friends, all the little ones, they would all go to the well together to fetch their water. It was very social. Right? It was a time where you would check in with each other, see one another. Morning was the big time. Sometimes they would do it late afternoon if they needed water too. And that makes sense because the water would have been cool from the night. It'd be cool outside. This woman is coming at noon when no one would be there the hottest part of the day, as to not encounter anyone. She was an outcast in her own community and already viewed as an outcast to the Jews. And we don't know exactly why she was an outcast. We learn that she had five husbands. She's living with someone now that's not her husband. Um, for many years, many generations, uh, church fathers and priests proposed that she was a sex worker. And while that's possible, it's actually pretty unlikely we know today. Today, more scholars would say, she was unable to have children. She was unable to have children and thusly shunned, divorced multiple times. Some of us know that very real pain today as well. We don't ultimately know why she was an outcast. Whatever the reason, her community shunned her and she was not in any meaningful relationships with those around her. So what a surprise it must have been for a Jewish man 
to be at the well asking her for water. Dr. Caroline Lewis points out that the thing we often miss in the myriad of rich topics of the scripture is the conversation between Jesus and the woman. The conversation. We live at a time where broad conversation about religious belief is not very deep. It's most often a meme. Sometimes it's shared on Facebook. I'm not even sure we could call it conversation. Right? And, you know, we've heard it said, like, oh, the worst thing to do at the dinner table is talk about religion or politics or money. And uh, some of us might still cling to that. But frankly, today, it feels like so many of us conflate our political and religious beliefs so they carry even more weight. Right? That is complex. And that is hard for us to disentangle. We avoid conversation with those that we know disagree with us. We avoid conversation with those we think disagree with us. Ooh. Right? If there's people we agree with, we're like, oh, great, cool. You're on my side of this binary. And if we assume they don't, we're like, Ugh. I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to hear it. I am so overwhelmed. We don't want our views to be challenged right? because we identify with our views really personally. And I've preached about this before, and I often feel like I'm preaching to myself. I worry that we are more invested in our ideology than the child of God before us. Oof. John challenges the first hearers and us today throughout this gospel. For John, knowing God is through relationship. It is through conversation. And we see this very human in our action and conversation that involved mutuality and reciprocity and respect. I know in our culture, like if a strange man asked me for water, in most circumstances, I would not interpret that respectfully. In most circumstances, I'd say, get your own water. Don't talk to me. <laughs> And in this particular time, because um, water was women's work, right? Women were in control of water. So one of the things they had control over. It was her domain. It was her space. So it really was this respectful way of saying, hey, I know this is your place. I'm in your territory. Would you get me some water? Woman, get me some water. Unlike everyone else in her entire sphere, this man was not afraid her bad luck would be contagious. This man was not afraid of her. Right? Even rubbing shoulders with her would be too much. He was not afraid of her. She meets Jesus in need of thirst. He was parched. He had been walking through the desert. And he meets her need of being seen and loved and worth saving. Friends, I think this is an interaction we can learn something from, this living water interaction. Jesus and the woman come to this conversation, this life-changing conversation. They each have a need. Sharing your need with someone else is vulnerable. They come to this with mutual vulnerability, right? Like I said, Jesus was literally thirsty. He's dependent on someone else in her space to get him water. And this woman needs the living water only Jesus, God, can give. Good conversations require this mutual vulnerability. Certainly good theological conversations, right? Being curious, not knowing the answers, not assuming the answers. So few conversations generally have these characteristics in our day. And this woman has all kinds of questions, genuine ones, 
She's legitimately curious, right? Unlike Nicodemus, she keeps going with her questions. She does not let a simple misunderstanding stop her. You see, when she would have heard living water, that's often what they referred to in ancient times as a spring, right? Living water, it was moving. You knew that you could, it was safer to drink that way. So she heard living water and she thought, oh, a spring, okay, cool. Where's the spring? And she realized she was misunderstanding him and sought to understand what he was saying. Jesus sought to be understood. It is vulnerable to seek to understand. It is even more vulnerable to let someone understand you, to seek to be understood. How many conversations do you have where there is that level of earnestness and desire for relationship? It's hard. Especially in the pandemic, folks are lonely. Some of us, for literally not seeing people, because we've had to be isolated. Some of us are surrounded by people, but we find it hard to find our people. Right? It's hard to have the capacity to put yourself out there when you've just been trying to keep your family alive. It's hard. And in our culture, right, or this is any, any culture, not everyone deserves to know you, right? Not everyone deserves to know you like that. There has to be some reciprocity within that that we see within this Jesus unnamed woman interaction. But in our culture, we place such a high value on familial relationships. We have a hard time placing a cultural value on friendships. Right? And yet we need all to thrive. Jesus talks about romantic relationships very little compared to friendships. He talks about friendships like 10 more times than romantic relationships. And we don't have that emphasis in our culture today, and I think we miss out on it. This interaction should say something about who God is. This is the interaction in John where Jesus first reveals himself. Right, right after this, he answers her question and says, I am. She asked about the Messiah, and he says, I am Jesus. Jesus said this not to the fancy religious leader, um, Barry also called Nick at night an uppity-uppy, right? Not to that guy last week, right? He didn't say who he was then. He didn't say who he was to his own disciples. He reveals he is the Messiah to the unnamed Samaritan woman who had been married five times. What does that say about who God is? Right? Jesus reveals himself to the one that has no religious, social, political power, We know that Jesus is looking for the outcast, right? Those we have cast aside. We also know Jesus is looking for curiosity and thoughtfulness and a heart that's open to that kind of conversation. I think this kind of conversation is a need that we have and share. A need now, a need then, a need. We need to be known, we need to be seen. And here's the final part. This conversation changed them. It changed the woman's life and it changed Jesus. Real conversation changes us, right? So Jesus tells his own disciples, go and be like this woman, this unnamed woman who has been shunned from her community, who has been shamed, right? She is now, she understands who he is and he says, hey, that's not her identity any longer. She's one of mine. 
She is a beloved child of God. She is changed because she takes on that identity from being an outcast to being one of Jesus and knowing her belovedness, ready to enter in community with that. That's her primary identity. Real, meaningful conversation changes us. This is a piece of art. Um, it's an oil painting by Chris Cook. And I love that we see, like in the foreground, the water jug she left. She left with her shame. She left it there um, with being an outcast. Everything that held her back from knowing who she really was. And she dances away. Now knowing this water to go tell other people, to willingly be in community with those that shunned her because of this interaction with God. We learn that there is something salvific about this interaction. We learn that there is something that saves. This story is the only time in the Gospels, the only time Jesus is called Savior. Not after he dies, not after he's resurrected, in this living water conversation, Jesus is already making things new. There is something about this conversation, this interaction, this deep meeting each other that saves us. And so I leave you today with some questions to help us reflect as we are halfway through Lent. Friends, what do you need? What are you thirsty for? Where do you find God's living water? Just the Samaritan woman at the well, mm -hmm. right there with Jesus. Yes, that is the story. You had uh, a variety of texts from which to choose. Why that one? Well, in our series, Picture This, um, I think it gave the most opportunity for um, illustrative words or concepts we could connect to. Um, I don't know. This was intentional for me. I'm not sure if it was intentional for you in the weeks that you chose with the words that you chose, but... We mentioned this in our last recording, and it's something you and I talk about frequently. We serve a congregation who primarily um, experiences faith through thinking about things. Not totally and not wholly, and that does not speak for everyone, but that's our primary mode. So I've been really thinking through um, words that give us connections that are um, within our bodies um, and kind of feelings and things that we can't think our way out of. As, as a way of kind of being present to the Lenten experience and not just uh, thinking through it. Sometimes when we, when we ruminate and think about things, we get into, um, we get into spaces that are over analysis we don't need to be in. Yeah, and your opening um, illustration invited people into that, right? Uh, your word thirst for most of us uh, in... in uh, 2023 in the United States, most of us haven't experienced thirst, and yet we can relate to your story of um, being out doing some, doing some light hiking <laughs> that turned into something very different, um, not the least of which was because you decided to chug a 64-ounce water, um, not by yourself, but you finished it off mm -hmm. and then found that the trail was a, a little bit more 
complicated than, than the first thought, and you experienced the first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was curious. Were you able to think of the last time you were thirsty? Uh, you know, I, I, I gave it thought, and it, for me, it's connected to running. Oh, sure. So when I run, and um, I don't have like a, a serious camelback vest thing that, that, that holds a lot of water, and I don't like to carry stuff when I'm running. So, yeah. so I've, got, I've got like a 12-ounce bottle that straps to my wrist, um, and then when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. yeah. What I do is, is for, this is more than you want to know. But I freeze it so that I can't drink it as fast. Oh, yeah? yeah. <laughs> so you have to ration yourself? Yeah, I have to ration myself. Oh, wow. That's a good strategy for thirst. Well, that's, uh, I was hopeful that people could at least imagine it or think it, you know, experience that feeling in their body to remember that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The, the body is a, it, it gives, it gives different kinds of feedback and, um, and I feel it's hard to, to know when thirst and and fatigue mm -hmm. kind of come in which order and how that how that works together. But yeah, I feel parched first, mm. and then and then it's like I don't have enough of something, and I'll just go to the water. It could be protein. <laughs> it could be any matter. It could be that I'm old. You know, it's like <laughs> all of those work together. Yeah, that's whenever we were sick growing up. Well, the first thing my parents would like, go drink, go drink a glass of water. That was like, water. you know, if you ever yeah. saw my big fat Greek wedding, Windex was the cure yeah, there. <laughs> for, for my family, it was water. <laughs> nope, go drink water. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so, so I took, um, I took notes. It, oh, wow. Well, because so the first service I sat where I usually do, and sometimes I like to move in front and and see how things are booking and being received how the sound is because mm. where we set set the sound is kind of funny yeah it's uh, behind the speakers um but uh so I, I i took some notes because there were things i didn't want to forget um you said thinking through our problems thinking through our problems does not cut it and that's part of what you were talking about about wanting people to get beyond the thought process so Talk some more about about that. What, what's what's the limitation of the thought? Yeah. Well, so that was particular to thirst when we started talking about needs and um, thirst, as well as a, a lot of other issues we might come across. Uh, you cannot pro and con list your way out of them. Um, there is something visceral needed. And sometimes we have a hard time even identifying what that need is. We are so used to not naming our needs, but also out of tune um, with, with the rest of our bodies. You know, we live in this very platonic dualist, like, you know, your mind is so separate from your body, the flesh that will fade away. And so I, I think sometimes we, we don't give enough deference to the feedback you were mentioning that our bodies give us. And um, I think particularly... Um, in reference to even needs that are not um, that aren't essential like for our functioning like if you still use Maslow's hierarchy like the ones that are not on the bottom some of those social connectedness needs we feel those as well and those aren't things um, you know even talk therapy can solve like you can't pathologize some of it uh, even having language around some of our issues is not enough um, to 
to help us engage in healing and wholeness? Sure. It, it takes investment. Yeah, and um, and relying on a different kind of knowledge. Or, or no knowledge. Uh, you know, at some level, it's it's about placing yourself uh, in, in space where you can experience it. Well, and I like for me, I think that's what knowledge. Like some of that is like you know, like the uh, knowledge, not in the academic sense, or not in the in the knowing of written word, or you know, but like there's knowledge in in experience and being a novice. Like we we gain and we kind of absorb some of that. So yeah, perhaps we're just using that word differently. I'm just thinking a little bit back uh, to the words, other words in the, in the series, and uh, last week I did born and mm -hmm. tried to do some of that too, to, to take it beyond mm -hmm. the thought to, to, to the existential experience mm -hmm. uh, of being being born in blood and pain, uh, blood and pain, blood and pain, um, and that that, to a point, we can do all kinds of considerations about that, but at some point, birth comes. Yeah. Uh, at some point, thirst comes mm -hmm. next week. At some point, grief comes, right? Yes. And then, and how we engage that in those different matters. Yeah. Um, I think too, we place such a high value on processing, um, processing things that occur to us as if they are all problems instead of engaging with realities in front of us. Yeah, I appreciated how you talk about it as a checklist because that's really what we, what we try to do mm -hmm. is go through, go through that checklist. Mm -hmm. So, interesting, um, I was struck in your sermon with something I had not given any thought to before, that, um, so I did Nicodemus last week. Mm -hmm. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night uninvited. Mm -hmm. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, Jesus comes to the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. Nicodemus comes without any clarity in the discourse, at least, of what he wants. Mm -hmm. Jesus anticipates what he wants. Jesus goes to the woman at the well with absolute clarity about what he wants, slash what he needs. And then the discourse goes from there, and it's mm -hmm. flipped to what she needs mm -hmm. uh, in this beautiful dance. So, so the juxtaposition of Nicodemus with all the power in the world going to Jesus uninvited by night um, without any particular clear agenda, but Jesus transforms it. And then Jesus goes to the woman at the well with a very clear agenda, and it gets transformed based on her need. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was, I thought it was, um, it was a little moment for me, but I thought you did a really good job of, of putting, us, putting us in that space where the woman um, was not supposed to be yeah. at that hour, hour of the day. And yet, Jesus goes, whether he's thinking he's going to serve him, get himself some water, mm -hmm. but but there she is, and so it's appropriate for her to get water. It's like it was it was well done and made it extraordinarily tactful. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, I had never because we preach these stories, yeah, you know, by themselves. Um, sometimes that's you know it's hard to kind of hold them together, and so I was uh, grateful to your work on Nicodemus and then like understanding like John, John does just such a good, you know, the weaving and like having this, you know, um, this kind of plan of what the story will be and adding, adding a little bit to it where, you know, like we have Mark who's like, ah, here's some stuff that happened. You know, he went into the wilderness just trying to get everything done on paper. So no one forgets. And, 
you know, John really does a good job of this comparison contrasting, and yet the constant is God building relationships. In, in spite of and because of power. Yeah. Right? We bring human power in and have one set of expectations based on that, and, and John slash Jesus flip it over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I appreciated John's. You know, John for me can be a little like, okay, right. <laughs> You know, and it, it, it's, well, and it's, it's, kind of, it's clunkier, um, you know, in the English translations than it was in Greek too. So I was like, okay, but I had, I had a real appreciation um, for, for, you can't see the air quotes, but air quotes, John's artistry um, and, and putting this together, especially just so quick into the book. Oh, yeah. Kind of get a really good picture of um, who they're communicating Jesus to be. You gave you gave us some things to uh, carry away, some things to think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which I wrote down, knowing that I would never remember them otherwise. Uh, so, so you kept hitting the need thing. So, what do you need? What do you need? Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus goes modeling need. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. So I, you know, this is this is kind of unlike the Nicodemus again because they're contrasting, but the mutuality of meeting each other in that space of need. Um, I, you know, Jesus models really well how to how to show up in a place where you have more power, but like meet someone where they are in this in this vulnerability of like, hey, I'm here in your space in your domain, and I need something from you, like, I, and I'm just gonna ask for it or or tell like say it. You know, we have it as a command, but. Um, I'm going to put it out there plainly, and then you can respond or not to that. And, um, yeah, I I think that's a beautiful model for us to start um, conversations and, and meeting someone um, with the invitation of vulnerability. They can choose to participate or not, and, and she had a choice to do that, and she chose to. Um, but I we don't often see that sort of reciprocity or consider that sort of reciprocity with Jesus it was so clearly there yeah it really was and it reminded me you know we're doing this this picture this series and and on the uh, chancel we've got a, a beautifully made porch wonderfully constructed porch yes and we've been using this <laughs> metaphor of the porch moving 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 from the porch to the altar and it struck me uh, as we're preaching that that the porch is uh, traditionally a place where there's easy hanging out mm-hmm. and it's kind of a common, particularly Southern, but I think uh, elsewhere, it's a place where, where basic hospitality happens. Um, among lemonade, you know, iced tea, Arnold Palmer. Um, <laughs> and and, and then, it, then it moves into the house when something deeper begins in relationship. Or I need to use the restroom. Or a storm comes. Or yeah. a storm comes. Mm-hmm. And the need, the need shifts. And it becomes a conversation. Why don't you stay the night? Because it's, uh, it's getting rough. Mm-hmm. Um, and the need comes. So I think that, that that's a lovely transition, that, that the altar is ultimately the place of our greatest need. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful metaphor, Barry. That would have been great yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I thought of it. Yeah. Uh, you also asked, what are you thirsty for? So, so those, those two strike me as kind of basic therapy questions that, yeah. that we go to. It's like, um, I work 
with couples, not long-term, but often couples will come seeking pastoral counsel and then referral. And, and without exception, it comes very quickly that, that neither one knows how to ask the other for what they need. And I think even beyond that, um, you know, kind of in the illustration of college students and then I found with adults and my friends and, you know, myself, even knowing what we need, knowing that we're somewhere in our body, we're disgruntled, right? yeah. we have something going on, sure. but we aren't in tune enough to even know what our needs are because so often we ignore them. I mean, so we kind of get our signals mixed. So not only communicating your needs effectively in, in a way that is hopefully compelling to a partner, <laughs> but knowing what that need is. Ugh, it's a lot. Well, we do that inside and we do that uh, interrelationally, I think, because we're really, really, really afraid. We're, mm -hmm. we're fear ridden children who one if, if i know what i need i'll have to deal with it yeah. yeah if i can suppress it i don't have to deal with it mm -hmm. if i don't tell you then i don't have to risk your not being willing to help me with my needs risk and like I, this is not a this is an illustration and it's not a criticism of the education system at large so that's my disclaimer but <laughs> I remember talking about this again in college and how like, you know, I would have freshmen like raise their hand and ask to go to the bathroom. I'm like, what? Go to the bathroom. <laughs> but then we had this further conversation. I'm like, hey, no, I've spent the last 13, 14 years yeah. having to ask permission for my, to have someone else tell me if my basic needs can be met. Yeah. Right. And yeah, sometimes I'm sure it, it's, I get why. I get why. There's shenanigans, all sorts of stuff. But it's just an interesting thought of like, oh, yeah, we're kind of trained to do some ignoring of these basic needs um, for all sorts of reasons. So there, there is some personal permission giving at some point, you know. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it goes to bad places when we don't feel like we can take agency for our, our, own, yeah. our own stuff. Yeah, and then, then you end up being like, hey, I don't know how to articulate my needs to my partner or my family or my friend or my myself. kid. Yeah, let alone. Yeah alone to ourselves so i i think the yeah i those those two questions were certainly very you know therapeutic well and then, the, then then where do you go to find where do you go to find god's living water um i spent a lot of time yesterday afternoon thinking about this because i was doing work downstairs in my workshop and then it's time to think and in reference to what we were just talking about talking about, I, I find that myself and I experience and others collapse um, emotionally when we consider God taking our needs to God. And I think it's one of the things that we've lost mm. in Protestantism because we've lost the confessional by and large. Mm -hmm. So we're not practicing going to God with, with who we really are. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought about how easily I get emotional just in the question, where do I go? So God's like, what am I doing now? <laughs> Where do I go for God's living water? Because it um, it, it requires being being bare before God, mm -hmm. and I have enough hard enough time being bare before myself or anybody else, let alone God. Yeah. It's probably more self disclosure than I want in a public <laughs> podcast, but there you go. <laughs> but like, the, you're not alone in that, right? Yeah, that's that's right. a fascinating juxtaposition of being born one of the like the most vulnerable creature on the planet. And then we learn so quickly 
being vulnerable doesn't, you know, in our society, being vulnerable doesn't get you anywhere. You know, it doesn't get you ahead and you got to toughen up and, you know, and then it's really hard to then peel back those layers and, and figure out, you know, um, I was having a conversation with my husband afterwards and it was like the same, like, yeah, it's so, it is so hard because you have to do the personal reckoning and then, you know, with your creator, it's, um, to, to undo what has been done by others, but by ourselves and, and our culture. And, um, to also know it's not with God that we can be vulnerable. Um, but the practice of vulnerability is hard because once you start doing it, you have to like figure out with whom you can be vulnerable because it should not be everyone. Yeah. You know, for a whole host of reasons. So, I mean, God is a wonderful, at least a first step via journal, via your brain. Via I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know this is e that it's an easy step. I mean, I think we very no. quickly go back to your first week in the series mm. where Adam and Eve are, are uh, in the garden naked and afraid. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't think, I don't think we've really, come a long way in that. It's like, I'm hiding from you, God, because I'm afraid I'm naked and I didn't want you to know. It's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, yeah. Simple, not easy. Yeah. Simple, not easy. Simple, not easy. Yeah. A, a lifetime of work, really, to even consider it. And we'll be here for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, uh, it's interesting too. Um, I don't know, talking about all of this, I think particularly during Lent when we, you know, the church has historically asked people to beat themselves up for being crappy. You know, that's kind of how Lent is built. And, yeah. um, and that's not right. Um, I think that's how it can get interpreted um, for churches that celebrate Lent. Or that's how people will articulate memories about it. Because frankly, it's easier. Yes, because we, we love. We love the equation of like if I if I am bad and I have a you know as soon as we have a negativity bias then I deserve bad things and I'm awful and you know we just love to cogitate on how horrible we are all the time and but that and, and if all I have to do if all I have to do to make this all better is give up chocolate I'm in yeah yeah say a few prayers you know give up chocolate eat fish go to yeah go to a one service on Good Friday <laughs> Easter you're you're absolved, the equation works itself out. We very much like our algebra as people. Well, I have I have enough notes for about another three of these podcasts, so you know, we'll have to we'll have to see where we go. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a, we'll do a summation of our of our picture series. Picture this. <laughs> Everything we wanted to say. Well, I don't know that I have more. It's, you know. I bet you do. It's Monday after a time change. <laughs> after um, staff meeting. After staff meeting, after a lock-in. After too much lunch. Yeah. Yeah. So perhaps. It's time for it, a nap. Yeah. Give it 24 hours and I'll, I'll be a little more chippy. Hey, thanks for being with us. Yeah. Thanks for being here. We will see you next week. Lent 4 as Barry um, takes us through grief. Yeah.